Well, hey, I want to welcome you here today. My name is uh, Paul Mumaw, and I'm the lead pastor at Genesis. And uh, what a great thing uh, that we can come here at the beginning of this day, and uh, we can worship together as we read Scripture. Uh, we can worship together as we sing, and uh, we can worship together uh, as we celebrate communion, as we celebrate what the Lord has done for us uh, in Jesus Christ. Um, I want you to know that one of the other ways that we celebrate here at Genesis is when we take an offering, because we believe that when we take an offering, uh, because it all comes from Him, uh, that we have the opportunity to give back and celebrate uh, what God is doing uh, in our lives and what He's doing in this church. And so I'm going to invite our host team to come forward and take our offering, and we celebrate whenever we do that at Genesis. You know, and as they come, uh, it's, it's amazing when you think about it, uh, what a birthday can do for you and how a birthday can remind you how blessed you really are. And I celebrated a birthday this past week, and for me, uh, it just reminds me how much I love this church and the people of this church that are so kind, uh, as much as I love, you know, my family, and, uh, and I'm crazy about my kids. And I was celebrating my birthday on Friday, uh, my kids uh, made some birthday cards for me, and I've got uh, three uh, little kids. Uh, there's Kate, she's five, and uh, she gave me this card. It says, I love you, Dad, on the front with all these X's and O's all over it. And that kind of represents her well because uh, she's a cuddly uh, sort of a little girl and she loves to cuddle and snuggle with her dad. And, and dads are a big fan of that. Well, I am. She's my daughter. And I'm, I'm a big fan of her cuddling with me. And uh, then there's Luke and, and he's five and uh, he's kind of the resident artist uh, in our home. And so he writes, to the best dad. And he's got all these great pictures in here kind of representing uh, some of his best artwork. And then I have my older son, uh, Joel, and uh, he writes, happy birthday. Uh, you are as old as, and then on the inside, and uh, you can read it here. I know it's kind of hard to read if you can read it for yourself, but he says 6 times 8 minus 10 plus 2 minus 20 plus 15 times 2 minus 32 years. Uh, Joel's favorite subject is math, uh, if you haven't figured that out yet. He says, you are also the world's best dad. And then he says, from jelly minus Ellie plus O plus E plus L. In other words, Joel. And uh, so... <laughs> He didn't get it from me, all right? He got it from my wife, all right? And uh, he really enjoys math, and uh, so lots of fun and, and good creativity and a lot of laugh uh, from my kids. Hey, uh, last week, uh, we talked about how the Bible, uh, really, when you think about it, as one author says, as one speaker says, uh, is divided really well into three parts. Now, that might be new to you, because when you think about the Bible, you might think, well, two parts, two obvious parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you think that, you are right. But I really like what he says, that you, know, you could say that the theme of the Bible, the theme of the Old Testament, is all about Jesus' coming, uh, the Gospels, or the first four books of the New Testament are all about Jesus is here, and then the epistles, or the rest of the New Testament, we'll talk about that towards the end of October, is all about Jesus is coming again. And uh, what we're doing is we're focusing uh, on the first four books of the New Testament right now, also known as the Gospels, uh, today and these next few weeks, and that means that we're looking at the Jesus is here part. And in case you missed last week, uh, we celebrated Christmas uh, on September 15th here at Genesis as we looked at the birth of Christ, and what we find is that the birth of Jesus, the birth of our Savior, changes everything. Now, if you spent any time reading in your Bible or the story this past week, you found, or what you found is that the gospel writers, uh, after telling the birth of Jesus, for the most part, what they really do is hit the fast forward button uh, through most of Jesus' life, his growing up years, and they get right into the ministry of Jesus. And by doing that, uh, it means that we don't, we don't know a lot about Jesus in his childhood years. 
Uh, we, don't, we don't know if he had bad acne. Uh, we don't know if he ever locked himself in his room. Or, you know, we, we don't know if he drank fair trade coffee in his 20s or went through a hipster phase and wore skinny jeans, maybe got a tattoo or something. We don't, we don't know any of these things. And, and when you think about it, it doesn't matter. Because what matters is what he did from age 30 to 33, and most of what we know about Jesus comes right out of this three-year period in his life. I mean, that's less than one term in office if you're serving as president. And, and if you look at it like this, and this is what really is extraordinary, I mean, in those three years, Jesus set a course that would forever change the world. Um, Dr. James Allen Francis describes the life of Jesus this way. He says, Jesus was born in an obscure village, the child of a poor peasant couple. He worked in a carpentry shop until he was 30, and then for three years he was an itinerant preacher. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place he was born. He never visited a big city. He didn't write a book. He never held an office. He had no family. He owned no home. He did none of the things that we think of when we think of greatness. And yet 19 centuries have come and gone, and he is the central figure of the human race. And all the armies that have ever marched, and all the navies that have ever sailed, and all the parliaments that have ever sat, and all the kings that have ever reigned, and all the presidents that have ever been elected put together have not affected life on this earth as much as that one man. You see, Jesus' birth changes everything. The life of Jesus changed everything. And we're in chapter 23 of the story today, and this uh, chapter, if you've been following along in the storybook, is titled, Jesus' Ministry Begins. Now, I want to remind you that one of the challenges that we've been running up against in preparing these messages for this series is that with every week, there are just so many things that you could take time and we could take time to talk about here on Sundays, and the same is true for this week, too. I mean, even in this chapter today, we could spend time talking about Jesus' uh, temptation in the wilderness, or we could look at how Jesus invited uh, the first men that would become his disciples. Um, if you read for yourself this past week, you witnessed those life-changing words, you know, in Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus that come right out of John 3.16. I mean, we could talk about that. And uh, there's story after story of his kindness and compassion. And, I mean, you can see it for yourself in the chapter how Jesus went out of the way to reach out to the woman at the well and how he loved the man with leprosy. I mean, from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, you know, he, there are all these examples of the times that he spent with his disciples and performing miracles and teaching in the synagogues and spending time with nobodies that the religious elites had labeled outcasts and rejects. But I'm just here to tell you that we're not going to talk about any of those things today. And there again, just another example of why you should read for yourself uh, you know, you're going to get the most out of the story if you're reading it on your own every week. And so uh, if you're reading out of the storybook, I want to encourage you and challenge you to read chapter uh, 24 uh, for next Sunday. And again, just a reminder too, if you're using your own Bible, there is a reading guide on the back of your worship program uh, so that you can follow along with us. But here's what I want to do. I want to I focus on one very important event in Jesus' life today. I mean, an event that really I mean, it really marks the beginning of his ministry here on this earth. And we're going to spend a few minutes looking at this event together uh, and what this event means for Jesus. But then what I want to do is I want to shift gears a little. And I want to talk about something that's coming up in a couple of weeks on October 6th here at Genesis and what that event might mean for some of you. So uh, we're in chapter 23 of the story today. Uh, if you're following along in your own Bible or if you're using something like version on your smartphone, uh, go to Matthew chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 13. 
Matthew 3.13. We encounter Jesus here, right in the Gospels, this first book of the New Testament. Um, But before we encounter Jesus, we meet another man, a man by the name of John the Baptist. Now, John is the son of Zechariah the priest. Uh, His mom is a woman named Elizabeth, and John is a cousin of Jesus. And all we know about this John guy is that one day when he had grown, he received a special calling from God, and he came down out of the wilderness, out of the mountains, and he started preaching and baptizing people around Galilee. Now, uh, if you're familiar with his story at all, you know that this John was a wild dude. Uh, I mean, he wore camel skin, and he ate bugs. I mean, he's, he's kind of like a Bear grills type of personality without the polished you know, TV personality here. But um, one day, John uh, started preaching, and he starts telling everyone about this man named Jesus, the Messiah, and how he would be coming soon. In fact, the people are praising John the Baptist, saying, you know, things like, you know, wanting to to call him the Christ or the promised one or using words like Elijah from old. And he just kind of interrupts and says, you know, hey, I don't deserve any of this. And, And there is one. And he is coming soon, and he is greater than I am, and I'm not even fit, as it says later in the Gospels, fit to tie his sandals. And sure enough, just as he had promised, just as he had preached, just as he had proclaimed, one day that man comes, and and Jesus shows up in Galilee ready to launch his public ministry. And the first thing, the very first thing that Jesus does, the very first thing that we see Jesus do as an adult is significant. Because with this event, Jesus is going to go public with his love and his commitment to God. And so we pick it up in Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Here's what Matthew records. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, it's a river, to be baptized by John, John the Baptist. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented, and as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Now, I want you to notice how at first John initially balked uh, at Jesus' desire to be baptized. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, if you're in John the Baptist's shoes and Jesus wants to be baptized, you, I mean, who I mean, who at all, who of any of us could say that we are worthy enough to baptize somebody like Jesus? And part of John's challenge here is that he had been baptizing people as a means of repentance and forgiveness. And so here's John, and he's looking at Jesus, and he's thinking to himself, you don't need repentance. Like, you don't need any forgiveness. I mean, you're perfect. I mean, you're the Son of God, the Messiah. And so I think that's also part of the reason why John tried to deter Jesus and And when you think about it, what it does is it really raises a great question. I mean, the question, did Jesus need forgiveness? I mean, did he need baptism? No way. He didn't need that forgiveness. Jesus didn't need to confess any sins. He was sinless. And it's why later on, another John wrote these words in 1 John 3, verse 5. It says, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him was no sin. And so if Jesus didn't need forgiveness of sins, well, then we got to ask, why in the world was he baptized? Well, there are several reasons worth noting. Um, You know, first of all, Jesus saw his baptism as a way of providing for us an example. 
as an example, as a way of advancing God's kingdom, God's work here on earth. And again, he didn't need to admit to any sin, but some say he was baptized as a way of identifying with the people of Israel, almost as if he was confessing sin on their behalf. Others say that his baptism also serves as a means of inaugurating his own ministry while showing support for John the Baptist and his work on the earth. And of all those reasons, and each of them counts, I think really one stands out as most important, and that is that Jesus was baptized because he loved his father. Like, that's what was most important. I mean, he loved his father. And Jesus, the perfect man, he didn't need baptism for sin, but he loved his father, and he accepted baptism in obedience as a way of serving his father, and he did this publicly so that there wouldn't be any doubt at all about why he came and who he came to the earth to live for. Verse 16 says it like this again, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. I just want you to take note that Jesus was baptized, and then God responded. And Matthew records God's word saying, God says, this is my son, whom I love, and it's a reference that comes right out of Psalm, the Old Testament book of Psalm, Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, and every Jew accepted that Psalm as a description of the Messiah, the mighty King of God who was to come, and then God said, with him, my son, with him, I am well pleased. It's another reference to the Old Testament, to Isaiah in chapter 42, verse 1, which is a description of of the suffering servant, a description which ultimately culminates in the prophecy of our Savior and his death in Isaiah chapter 53. And what does it all mean? It means that Jesus was the one chosen by God, the one that we sang about, the one that we celebrated his death and his life through communion. And his baptism was another way of declaring that the path of our Savior was a path to the cross And he came as a king, and I like how William Barclay says that his throne, though, even though he was a king, his throne looked a lot more like a cross than anything else. Now, here's some really cool news. Um, In two weeks, we're going to celebrate baptisms here at Genesis Church, and it's our hope, uh, and it's really our prayer that many of you, uh, if you haven't already, will make a decision in your life that you'll take that next step if you haven't already uh, and make the decision to be baptized. Now, what I want to do is I want to say right up front, uh, before I go any further, that the greatest and the most important decision you will ever make in your life is a decision to trust Jesus Christ uh, as your Lord and Savior. And I know that for many of you, uh, you've already had a moment like that where you've trusted him for your life and for your forgiveness. And whether you do that here on a Sunday, uh, whether you've done that before in another time or in another place, the decision, again, that you make to trust him as your Lord and Savior and for your forgiveness is the decision that matters the most. But baptism is a way of announcing that decision. And uh, you may not know this, but in New Testament times, baptism so closely followed the decision to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior that the two were considered to be part of one event. And so what we're trying to do here at Genesis is we're trying to get back 
to some of that. And so uh, what I want to do with just a little bit of the time that we have here today is to help you understand uh, the significance, the, the spiritual significance and the spiritual power uh, behind your decision to get baptized. Uh, if you're here today and you've been baptized before, whether it be at Genesis or maybe at another time in another church, I pray that today might be a great reminder to you because maybe you forgot about the importance of that moment in your life. But what I want you to also uh, do and see today is God's desire for you and what he can do in and through your obedience when it comes to something like baptism. So if you're taking notes uh, and you're following along with us, uh, there are at least three things that are represented in your baptism. Uh, and the first is this, that when you're baptized, you are identifying with Jesus Christ. You are identifying with Jesus Christ. Baptism is a public statement. It's a symbol, it's an outward declaration, if you would, that you are standing with Jesus Christ because Jesus doesn't want there to be any doubts about who you're standing for. And when he was baptized, he was making a statement that he loved his father and that he came to this earth to live and to serve for him. And when you get baptized, you do the same. You're shouting out, you're making a statement, a commitment about your love for the Father. Um, Paul writes it like this in Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 26. He says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Um, baptism, if you would, uh, is a way of saying that it, it doesn't matter what the world says about you. Uh, it doesn't matter what your past says about you. Uh, in Christ Jesus, your previous failures uh, don't rule over you anymore, and that means that labels uh, that have been unfairly associated to you in your life and in the past, they no longer have any power over you because here's what's most important. You are clothed with Jesus Christ. Um, I look at it like this. You know, I, uh, I served in the college ministry before coming to Genesis Church uh, five years ago, and Facebook believe it or not, played a really important role uh, in this college ministry uh, as it was just a great way of keeping up with the students and the different things that were going on in their life. And um, it was also another way of keeping up with who people were dating. Um, and so, you know, it wasn't uncommon that you would see a guy and a girl hanging out, it seemed like quite frequently, spending a lot of time together at an event. And, then, and you just kind of wonder and wouldn't you know it, you know, maybe some days would pass and one day you would see come scrolling across your news feed that they were now finally in a relationship, right? You know what I mean? I mean, they made the public statement that they're in a relationship. Well, when you get baptized, you're basically doing the same. You, you, you are saying that you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ and you are publicly identifying with him and letting everyone else know that you are opening up your life to serve God with every part of you for the rest of your life. And um, that phrase, you know, even when you think about it, that phrase, clothe yourself in Christ, uh, is pretty relevant for us, um, especially here at Genesis uh, during football season. I mean, you know, come on, we're several weeks now uh, into the NFL and college uh, football season, and I know that we've probably got some football fans here with us today. I, I see it out in the crowd and uh, lots of jerseys. It's kind of what we're known for here, Genesis Right. And uh, what do you do with your jersey? I mean, with your jersey, you're making a statement about your loyalties, all right? You're making a statement about your team. And so maybe you go blue on Fridays and certainly on Sundays too, and you're gearing up for the, the big game this afternoon. And, and, and for some of you, maybe you wear the luck jersey, right? Loud and proud, all right? Because you like where we're going. 
Um, or maybe you still are kind of holding on to the Manning jersey, you know, and it has nothing to do with a dislike for luck. But again, you're kind of making a statement that you're maybe not over the fact that they let, you know, Peyton Manning go. And so there are a couple of different things that are going on there. Or, or maybe if you're like me and my family, you're wearing a jersey of a former player because it's just a lot cheaper, you know. I mean, you can find those in the store and, and it costs less. But uh, others of you are here and you're loudly uh, supporting your other team. I know we've got some Bears jerseys that show up around here and there's usually some Redskins jerseys. I've seen some Eagles jerseys before or, or maybe you're more of a college football fan. Fan. And so you go OSU or Michigan, or maybe you're all about, you know, the state of Indiana, and so you go Notre Dame or Purdue. It just, it seems like I don't see a lot of IU football jerseys for whatever reason. But again, most IU fans are hybrid fans. You go IU for basketball, Notre Dame for football, kind of Bush League if you ask me. But, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of how our IU fans roll. But whatever team it is, right, you like to identify and support your team. Well, in two weeks... What we do with our football teams, uh, some of you are going to do for Jesus, uh, and you're going to make a statement about something that really matters, and you'll be baptized, and with your baptism, you're going to announce for yourself and for everyone that you are identifying with Jesus Christ. And uh, when we think about that, when we think about the importance of going public, I mean, you know, recognize that Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River was probably one of the most popular gathering public places around. I mean, the people went to the Jordan for drinking water. They went to the Jordan to wash their clothes. Uh, they went to the Jordan River just to be around other people or to cool off. And so Jesus went to the most public place you could imagine at the time, and he was baptized there so that everyone could see it. And that's how it's supposed to be done, a public proclamation. And when we celebrate your baptism, in a couple of weeks, I want you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to invite everyone you know. I want to invite you, you to invite your family and your friends and the people that you work with, and you invite people to come into this place where you stand before this church and before them to remind people that you don't stand alone anymore and that the man who changed everything for you has changed uh, changed all things because it's your opportunity to stand before this church and your friends and the world and say, I'm saved by Jesus Christ and nothing will ever be the same ever again. And in two weeks, we're going to do just that. And just so you know, if you're new to Genesis, we tend to go a little crazy around here when it comes to baptisms because it's like a big party and we make a big deal out of it because it is a big deal. And so invite everyone you know on Sunday, October the 6th, and so we'll baptize people as a way of identifying with Jesus Christ. But also the second thing is when you're baptized, you are baptized into his death. And I want you to see and try and understand, if you would, the spiritual power of baptism too. Paul writes it like this in Romans uh, chapter 6, verse 3. He says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You know, baptism, what it does is it graphically depicts what happens as a result of our union with Jesus Christ. I mean, baptism is a way of representing the fact that you are dead to your past, that you are dead to your old self. I mean, it's as if you are buried as Jesus Christ was buried. Now, here's why that's important. One of the questions that comes up from time to time around here, or maybe you've asked a question like this before, has everything to do with baptism and specifically 
method when it comes to baptism. Now, as many of you know, um, there are plenty of churches, and there are plenty of church denominations, and there are plenty of church traditions, and every church, it seems like at least, baptizes a little differently. I mean, some sprinkle with water, uh, some pour with water, and when it comes to the method that we prefer here at Genesis, we baptize people by immersion. Now, the word immersion means to go all the way under, and we prefer immersion for a couple of reasons. First, um, the Greek word for baptize is the word baptizo, and it means to immerse. I mean, it literally means to go all the way under, your whole body under the water. And so in my personal opinion, and how we lead here at Genesis is that immersion best illustrates what's happening with baptism, that when you're immersed, when you go all the way under the water, you are baptized as Jesus was baptized, but you are also buried as Jesus Christ was buried. But for you, you're buried in a watery grave. Now, I've got to tell you up front that if you've been really, really, really bad in your life, we're going to have to hold you under for a few minutes, all right, just to, just to really kind of make sure we get all of that washed off, you know, before you come up. Some of you are like, really? He's not serious, right? No, I'm not serious. I promise uh, we, we don't do that. But seriously, immersion, what it is, is it's a way of demonstrating that you are buried with Jesus Christ, that you've been buried with him, that you, are, you recognize your sin and you recognize the fact that you can't change the past and so you're dying to your past. And what you've done is you've died with Jesus Christ. And the best part, though, the best part is when you come exploding up out of the water, as Jesus Christ came exploding from the grave and you are raised from the water as Christ was raised from the grave, and it represents a brand new life, and it represents a new creation and a new start for you. Now, let me take a second and just kind of make a comment on who should be baptized. And I know that when I say this, it may seem obvious to you, but I know that questions always come up. We baptize believers here at Genesis Church. Now, that means that we baptize people who are ready to make or have made a decision for Christ and are at least old enough to understand the significance of that decision and the significance of baptism. And so that means that we don't baptize babies here at Genesis. Uh, we don't baptize children that you would believe, that we would believe, or maybe too young uh, even to make a decision like that for their own. And so um, I've got to tell you that I really appreciate the intentional work uh, and the partnership of our Gen Kids team in this. And uh, if you don't know this already, uh, we offer a class here at Genesis uh, for third through fifth graders through Gen Kids. We call it our dive class. And that dive class is going to be meeting next Sunday. You can read about it in your worship program. I think we've got some news around the building. It'll meet next Sunday here at Genesis uh, at 1040. Uh, and it's about helping kids make an important decision, if they haven't already, for Jesus Christ first, and then maybe in considering that decision to be baptized. Now, I've got to tell you though this, though. Um, it, it's not just for kids. Because mom, uh, dad, or maybe if you're a grandma and grandpa and you're the primary caretaker uh, of a child, like you... You play an important role in this decision because it ultimately has to come down to you to really discern whether your child is ready to make this decision, to encourage them in that, and then ultimately a decision uh, for baptism too. But our team and our staff, we are here and we'd love to help you in this. Um, you know, I'll just tell you that I, I grew up in church. Um, but I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ when I was around 11 years of age. Um, I was attending a church camp and had an opportunity to do that. And when I came home from camp that summer, I was able to share that with my mom and dad. And then I was baptized. But they played, and I'm grateful for this, a really big part in kind of discerning whether I was ready uh, to be baptized. Um, but maybe some of you are sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, you know, what if I was baptized as an infant? 
then what? And uh, if that's where you come from, well, then maybe uh, your story is a lot like my, uh, my wife's story. Um, Jenny, she grew up in a tradition uh, where they practiced infant baptism, uh, maybe like many of you, and, and there's nothing wrong with this. And I know and we believe that her parents had the very best intentions for her when she was baptized. And then in middle school, uh, she on her own surrendered her life to Jesus Christ. But when Jenny was 28, 28 years old, she made the decision on her own to be baptized again. And it wasn't as if she was discounting the importance of what her parents had already done for her. Uh, She wasn't regretting the decision that uh, they made to have her baptized as an infant, but she chose to be baptized again as an adult as a way of demonstrating her love for God and as a way of, uh, of stating that she is living and will continue living for Jesus Christ. And because Jesus made, you know, his baptism an act of obedience, Jenny wanted the same. And I know that she's not alone, and over the years here at Genesis, we've had many people who have come forward to be baptized, people who were baptized as a child or as an infant, but they decided, you know what, something's changed, and maybe I'm understanding this differently for the very first time, and I want to go public too with my decision for Jesus Christ, what He's done for my life, and as a way of saying to my family and friends and to my church who it is that I live for. And because of that, They took the step to to be baptized as an adult, as an act of obedience. Paul continues like this in Romans 6, verse 5. He says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin." You know, I've had the privilege of baptizing a number of people over the years and a number of those that I'll never forget. And I'll I'll never forget baptizing an 80-year-old woman uh, one time. And uh, she was baptized. I I don't remember all the details of her story for sure, but she was baptized as a young child. And I remember that even at 80, and she wasn't in the greatest health, and I was a little concerned at the time, the church I was serving, what it meant to go down those steps and get into the water. And so I've got to be honest with you and say, I almost was kind of trying to talk her out of it a little bit, almost discouraging her. But she, thankfully, she'd have nothing to do with it. Because even at 80 years old, she felt like God was working in her life in a brand new way. And she wanted to make sure that everyone knew who she lived for and how Jesus Christ had changed everything. In two weeks, some of you will get baptized here and you're going to stand before this church as a way of announcing that Jesus is the Lord of your life and you're going to be buried with Christ in baptism. Thankfully, it doesn't end there. And you don't want it to end there because you can only stay underwater so long. Um, But when you're baptized into his death, then, number three, you're raised alive in Jesus Christ. Again, this is what we talked about, exploding out of the water. I mean, Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He was raised into new life. And you're going to be raised out of the watery grave too. And it has everything to do with your new life in Jesus Christ. Again, in uh, Romans 6, verse 4, Paul says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You know, again, this Greek word, baptizo, 
it was used in a lot of different ways. And one of the ways that it was used in ancient times is that it described a, a, a process for making a shirt or outfit. It's kind of like what we do with tie-dye today, where people would take a cloth and maybe typically a white cloth, and they would immerse it in the water, in the dye. And when they took it out of the water, after they baptizoed it, they would take it out of the water, and it would come out differently because it was changed and changed forever. And that's what Jesus Christ does for us. That's what he does in your life when you make the decision to trust him as your Lord and Savior. And that's precisely what you're demonstrating when you're baptized too. Baptism doesn't mean you are perfect. It doesn't mean you won't screw up again or that life will be easy from now on. And baptism isn't about checking off one more thing from your Christian to-do list. Baptism is all about acknowledging the saving grace of Jesus Christ. You're saying to yourself, your church, and most importantly to God, that you're different. You're changed forever. You are a new creation. You're not the same anymore. All of the filth, the old stuff, the insecurities, fear, sin, and guilt, it's buried. It's gone. Dead. It's in your past. Struggles may come, but your salvation, your hope won't be shaken. You are dead to sin and now free and alive in Christ. to sin, but alive in Christ. And uh, Jesus was baptized, and then do you know what happened next? He started ministering. And uh, when you're baptized, when you stand publicly and identify with Jesus Christ, I mean, when you're baptized into his death and raised alive into new life, do you know what happens next? You're released as a minister, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you need to understand that. That as Christ was raised and released into ministry, that's God's desire and his plan for you too, that you become his full-time minister. Now, I know that when I say that, uh, some of you might be thinking to yourself, maybe some of you women are like, you say minister, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. Not anymore. You're not just a stay-at-home mom, you belong to Jesus Christ. And because he was raised from the dead and because he saved your life, um, you're not just a stay-at-home mom. Uh, you're a stay-at-home mom who lives for him. Or uh, maybe you hear something like minister and you think to yourself, you know what, I just sell insurance. What's that got to do with me? No, you don't. You belong to Jesus Christ, first and foremost. And he's got plans to do extraordinary things in your life as you trust him, as you live for him every single day. If you're like, you know what, I'm just focused on finishing college right now or I just wait tables that's not true. I mean, that's maybe what you get paid to do, but your life has been purchased by the Son of God and Jesus Christ, and He paid the price for your life, and He forgave you, and now you have the privilege of living for Him each day in everything, in all that you do. And like Jesus, you're baptized into full-time ministry and everything you do in Jesus Christ. And what Jesus said to His disciples 2,000 years ago, He says to you and me, Jesus says, go into all the world 
and make disciples. That's what a minister does. Not go out and make a bunch of money and retire early and sit on the beach until you die. But Jesus says, no, here is the most important thing you'll do. Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you today, what's next for you? What, what, what's God's uh, plan? What, what's God's next step uh, for you in your life? I mean, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you can say, you know what, I know him and I trust him for my forgiveness as my Lord and Savior, and, and you've never been baptized before, or maybe you're here today and you were baptized as an infant, it's time. What's keeping you? What would stand in the way of you making a decision like this in two weeks to get baptized here at Genesis? I want to challenge you to do it. Uh, mark it on your connection card. Uh, stop by the Info Hub on the way out and let them know. You can go to our website, uh, if you would, and you can sign up for baptism on Sunday, October the 6th, um, because here's the thing. The only thing that should get in the way of your baptism is a decision to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the only thing. And if that's the only thing standing in your way today, why not make that change today and receive Christ into your life? And to know that the one who changed everything can change everything for you. And you'll never again be the same. Let's pray. God, we pray um, that you would fill our hearts. Even as we talked about last week, Lord, that you would fill our hearts with a greater desperation for you, a greater hunger for more of you. God, in our own lives, I mean, when all the stuff... Um, comes up from the past, help, help us to remember that through Jesus Christ, it's all dead and gone. And with the power of that truth before us today, show us how to live, Lord, faithfully in you and by you for all things. Teach us to live enthusiastically, completely aware and confident that we are alive in Jesus Christ and how that changes everything. And God, I want to pray for those who are here today who have surrendered their lives to you but maybe never taken that important step towards baptism. And for whatever reason, whether that be because of questions, if that's because of confusion, maybe some fear, Lord. God, I pray today in the name of Jesus Christ that you would give them courage to take that next step and be baptized. And may their lives be marked forever, never again the same. And as we pray to you, I want to just take a moment uh, for those of you here today who don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want to pray for you. God, I pray. I pray right now that they may see the truth and the power of a relationship with Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for the gift. We thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for sending Jesus and for his death and how his death covers all. And thank you that because of his death and his resurrection, we can receive forgiveness too. And as we pray, let me just ask you straight up, let me just ask you this question. Have you ever received that gift of life, that gift of forgiveness? Have you invited Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? And if you haven't, and maybe you believe that it's, it's time, Lord, it's finally time, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me and to pray it with confidence wherever you're seated. Just pray these words. Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. Lord Jesus, save me. Forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. Announce me alive in Jesus Christ. Pray these words, Lord, I believe that you are the Son of God who died for me, 
so that I now can live for you. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for the gift of Jesus and for these prayers offered up to you today. May nothing stand in our way. And may we follow you, Lord, obediently and courageously with whatever it is that you have in mind for us next. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, I just want to say before we close out that we get excited for our teams and uh, we're going to sing this final song together. I want to ask you to stand with us and let's get excited about this message and this truth of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ and the salvation that's been made available to us all.